Welcome to Further Africa's Last Week, our weekly news roundup of the most read news over at furtherafrica.com. I'm Rafael Carvalho and today I'll be joined by Emmanuel Chilampuma, and we will also have a new guest participating today. More details on that soon. Before we move on, I would like to thank all the emails we have been receiving, which are highly supportive and appreciative about this vibrant and positive narrative we want to share with the world about Africa. You can email us on lastweek at furtherafrica.com and also interact with me and other Further Africa authors and contributors through our social media platforms and, of course, by commenting on furtherafrica.com. With all that said, let's now move on to our top five. Emmanuel, always a pleasure to have you here by my side once again. Yes, uh, it's always a pleasure um, speaking to you too. Always a pleasure. And like I said previously, we have a new member joining us right now. Since our fifth most read news is by one of our authors, Caroline Martins, and because she did such a good job, I felt it was a great opportunity to have her give us a more detailed rundown about her research. Caroline, thank you for joining us for this episode of Further Africa's Last Week. Thanks for having me here, Rafael and Emmanuel. Always a pleasure to participate in such interesting discussions with you. So, in your article, you summarized the entire history of the dollar and how it came to be the world's reserve currency. It's an in-depth, very well-researched article. I definitely learned a lot from it. So, before you comment, I'd like to remark that uh, currently, more than in any other moment in history, probably, the dollar is under a very real threat. Investors are shorting the dollar, uh, low interest rates from central banks all over the world are further weakening the currency, so what I actually found interesting by reading our article is that we can actually see history repeating itself, right? Uh, in a cycle that is now seeing gold as the new safe haven once again, with uh, prices for the precious metal rising over 18% so far this year, while the yields on US treasury bills get ever closer to zero, let alone the fact that all this is surrounded by very unfortunate political decisions by the US government regarding the coronavirus pandemic. So when you read this article and consider all this background information, it almost feels like a matter of time until we reach a new paradigm shift in our history. That's pretty much it, Hafa. First of all, thanks for having me hear you both. I'm very glad to know my article was in Further Africa's top 5 during last week. I'm very happy for it. But back to the questions you raised. You know, I really like to read, and I've been reading a lot these days, and in my opinion, the best writers are not those who bring answers, but rather the ones who make us reflect about their opinions, you know, reflect about the facts they bring. And that was exactly my intention while writing it. To raise questions on the dollar, to raise questions on the economic cycle we are living in, the credit bubbles central banks are helping to create, with this excuse they are saving us from an economic crash and from this deadly coronavirus that shouldn't be labeled as such, in my opinion. So, by reading the article, I think readers shall conclude that even though we know history does not repeat, it does rhyme. So, yes, in my opinion, 
those unprecedented monetary and fiscal policies from all over the world will have dire consequences sooner rather than later, you know, and mainly to the taxpayers, as always been. And I'm not only talking about inflation, but central banks are creating huge distortions on the markets. In my humble opinion, we are already witnessing bubbles on a few stock markets, not to mention the fat put trade on the bonds market, you know, where speculative companies have been able to raise billions these days, even though they do not generate positive operating cash flows. So yes, I do fear that not only inflation will eventually come, but zombie companies will keep multiplying in number. And that's very harmful for one's economy, in my view. A GDP sustainable growth, in my opinion, must be based on productivity, on savings, on investment, you know. Uh, you know, that's why capitalism begins with capital. <laughs> but as Duncan's put in his book, The Dollar Crisis, we are no longer living under the capitalism order. We are just living the creditism order. So I completely agree with him. And I, you know, I utterly recommend his book. It's very good. It's a very good book. He was the one credited with anticipating the 2007 crisis. So this is a very good book to read. So to conclude my thought, I believe the dollar will keep depreciating against the other currencies in the near future. And that's, that's only one reason why I like gold from an investment point of view. I actually think, Hafa, that my next article for Further Africa should bring the reasons why I like gold as an investment asset. What do you think about it? Well, I'm looking forward to it. I hope you'll be joining us many more times here on Further Africa's last week and also writing for us on Further Africa. We would definitely appreciate if you would follow up on this subject, which seems to be a passion of yours. And I will definitely be picking up this book you recommended. How about you, Emmanuel? Would you agree with the points I raised and also with uh, Caroline's assessment? Uh, yes, I totally agree. Um, the article itself is very detailed, um, you know, observing history um, in terms of the relationship between the US dollar and gold. Um, like you said earlier, um, we've always experienced um, gold being favored over um, over the US dollar whenever there is um, a pandemic or whenever there is any economic crisis, you know, take, yeah, any, um, any other dollar. kind of crisis. Exactly. Yes. 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 Um, so, you know, if we take um, 2008, um, that would be a, a good example um, that, show, um, that tells us that um, although, you know, the US dollar might be the reserve currency, it doesn't necessarily mean that um, it's always going to be um, utilized um, at a time when um, the economies are either moving slow or when they uh, or when growth is starting to decline. Um, so, you know, I, I totally um think that um you know there is going to be um, a paradigm shift um you know if we look at historically anyway from the time when um the um, uh, at the end of the world war um world war ii 
um, when um, the, the Burton Woods um, system was actually introduced. Again, this also followed the um, establishment of the World Bank and the IMF. Um, then looking at the um, oil shocks of 1973, again, you know, these were all different crises that actually impacted the dollar. Um, so I totally believe that, um, you know, things could change considering now that there is obviously more competition, especially, you know, coming from China. So that could also have an influence um, on where the dollar actually um, goes to um, in the next um, years or in the years to come. Perfect. Very well put, Emmanuel. Uh, now it's time to say goodbye to Caroline, unfortunately. Uh, like I said, Caroline, I wish you could join us many more times here on Further Africa's last week. And for now, I thank you for your time with us today. It was great talking with you both. Thanks again for this opportunity, guys. Bye, take care. Bye-bye. Okay, so the next article, which is our fourth most read news, was written by Eric Osiakwan, another brilliant African personality we have the honor of counting as a Further Africa contributing author. Here, Eric highlights the increasing activity on mergers and acquisitions in Africa. He picks the recent surge in healthcare investments towards the African health tech sector by detailing three very good examples of innovation and the fast adaptation shown by African healthcare businesses amid this pandemic. The main takeaway for me here, Emmanuel, and actually Eric embodies my view perfectly with his positive hands-on attitude as an angel investor himself, uh, is that all the lockdowns which were implemented around the world, uh, in Africa, they had, let's say, the collateral effect of speeding up digital solutions and innovations in the continent. And healthcare is just one of the many sectors benefiting from this. What do you think, Emmanuel? Well, I agree with um, the contents in this article. Um, you know, if we actually look at, I mean, even before the, the, the pandemic, um, we were actually starting to see that there was a trend um, in terms of, um, you know, investments um, going into the health sector in Africa. And, you know, I feel like most of the, the companies actually operating in Africa um, became very innovative um, to actually tackle some of the um, local problems um, that the health system was actually facing. Um, exactly. You know, you know, as we know, obviously, um, the, 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 the system over there is totally different to, let's say, um, developed nations where you might have cases where the government might actually intervene um, in the, the health sector. But we obviously haven't seen much of that um, in many African countries. So, right. you know, actually seeing um, a number of companies, you know, coming up with ideas to solve um, some of these problems um, you know it doesn't really come as a surprise to me um, the fact that you know investors are now becoming more interested um, in engaging with the sector
our third most read news is the official handing over of SADC's presidency, which was chaired by Tanzania and now goes to Mozambique. In a virtual ceremony that took place on August 17th, fitting of the times we're living in. So, Emmanuel, would you please comment and add your take on SADC's role as the governing body for the region? Yeah, sure. Um, so, you know, I, I believe that SADC, um, as an organization, um, has obviously experienced a number of issues, um, you know, considering that the coronavirus has pretty much affected all economic activities um, in many countries. Um, so, you know, um, I think I think the focus now, um, it seems anyway, that um, it's not only just to tackle um, the, the, the COVID situation being faced by the by the um, economic community, um, but also um, to actually make sure that, you know, the region itself is well prepared uh, post um, COVID and, you know, with the amounts of um, projects that are actually taking place within that region, um, I truly believe that, you know, this is the, the, the perfect moment and um, not only for um, uh, Nusi, the president of Mozambique, but also for the other um, leaders of that region to actually come together and fight some of the, the challenges that they're currently facing. Perfect. And if conditions permit, the next physical summit of SADC will be held in Maputo, Mozambique on March 2021. Now let's move on to our second most read news, which talks about Mozambique's Matola LNG terminal, which is scheduled to begin operations in 2023. This is an import LNG concession awarded by Mozambique to the Beluluane Gas Company, the BGC. Uh, this is a joint venture between Total, the French energy company, and Gigajoule, a Southern Africa gas group. Traditionally, Emmanuel, the only way to import LNG was to build onshore terminals, which would also mean big costs and large carbon footprints. But in the case of this project, they are building what's called a FSRU, which stands for Floating Storage and Regasification Unit. And the main differential here is that FSRUs are not only cleaner, but also much cheaper and faster to build. In the specific case of the Matola LNG project, uh, probably the main advantage of this project is the ability they have to deliver natural gas directly into the Southern Africa pipeline infrastructure in a time where an energy supply gap is predicted to arise in the region and more notably in South Africa. So the article says the companies leading the project are now intensifying discussions with energy and industrial off-takers. So Emmanuel, I want to hear from you. Could you clarify what they mean by that? By intensifying their talks, I mean, and what your take on this is? I mean, essentially, having observed um, the, the, the situation um, within Southern Africa, um, as we know, uh, there has been power shortages um, for quite some time, mainly because, you know, most um, countries within that region are heavily uh, reliant on um, ESCOM to actually provide them with um, energy. So, you exactly. know, um, at this point, this is um, quite crucial 
um, not only for the providers, uh, but also for the off-takers to truly understand the importance of this. So, um, you know, in other words, um, the, the, the main focus right now for the providers is to ensure that they have, um, um, or they've, they've built, they've actually put arrangements in place uh, with the off-takers. Um, otherwise, you know, it becomes quite difficult to launch a project um, without really knowing exactly who it's actually going to be supplied to. So this is literally um, what I think is actually happening at this point where they want to um, ensure that um, the, the, the off-takers are actually aware of um, the urgency of, of, uh, of this project and how beneficial it could be uh, to the region um, and, you know, likely to be beneficial to um, to ESCOM, considering that um, they've been struggling for quite some time now to provide um, energy for, for the region. And, you know, when we look at countries like Zimbabwe, countries like Zambia, um, again, you know, these are countries that are likely to also benefit, um, you know, because of um, their uh, power systems, you know, because they, they, they mainly rely on um, hydro um, hydroelectricity. So, you know, again, with the droughts and everything else that has been going on there, um, this is likely to then bring about the, the much needed change um, in terms of um, energy supply within the region. Our number one spot, so the most read news over the week at Further Africa, is taken by Angola. So Emmanuel, once again we're here talking about the comprehensive tax reforms the country is undertaking as their government aims to bring Angola ever closer to building a more robust legal framework like that of more developed countries. Uh, this news actually complements one that we have commented one or two episodes back whereby the Angolan government required that foreign employees open a bank account in an Angolan financial institution. Uh, so what's new here, Emmanuel? Um, well, I mean, yes, um, we have discussed this um, before or in previous episodes. Um, and, you know, this to me looks like it's just um, amendments that have been made um, to the existing rules um, that we discussed previously. Um, so again, you know, the focus is still with um, foreign nationals within the country um, and, you know, how they actually carry out their, their daily um, transactions um, in terms of, you know, foreign exchange, um, in terms of uh, their salaries. And, you know, again, um, as, we, uh, as we mentioned in the, in the previous episode, um, it seems to me that, you know, the, the government really wants to make sure um, that, you know, um, not only the income, but all other um, transactions that are made by foreign nationals are actually recorded so that, you know, the, the, right. the government has a good sense um, of um, all the economic activities in the country. Yes, precisely. And the fact that these articles rank so high every week here on our podcast goes to show that President uh, Juan Lorenzo's government has a strong agenda to restructure the country's fiscal policies. And I believe the goal here is to simply control a sector that 
cannot and should not operate informally. So, Emmanuel, thank you for your time here with us once again. Well, thank you, Rafael. And to all the listeners, please subscribe, review our podcast, and comment on our social media platforms. Send us an email and help us improve and deliver the best content possible in order to bring you the best that Africa has to offer. I'm Rafael Carvalho, signing off. Until next time. <music>